I was so frustrated that I considered actually leaving medicine completely and doing something different. Like at one point, honestly, I was planning to have a food truck. Welcome to Eyes Up, a podcast that champions representation, where we see you and give you insight on what the future of your career can look like. I'm your host, Dr. Damaris Raimondi, and we have a guest today. She got her bachelor's in psychology at Austin College. She went on to get her master's in public health and DO degree at the University of North Texas. She is a board-certified pediatrician that specializes in plant-based nutrition and intuitive eating for moms and children. She's the practice owner of Nourish Wellness and a fellow podcaster. Everyone, let's give it up for the host of Veggie Doctor Radio, Dr. Yami Casorla Lancaster. <laughs> that Welcome. was awesome. I feel like there needs to be like audience like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the crowd roars <laughs> today i'm hoping that my listeners get to enjoy your joyous voice and that we get to hear your story and in that way we can all learn to enhance our healthy eating habits by learning more about what intuitive eating is and hopefully that's something that we can teach our patients as well. I also learned something fun about you. Both of us are only children. And I think that for us, you know, life is, I mean, that's why life is pretty amazing. But, you know, since you are the Veggie Doctor Radio, did you have a favorite vegetable growing up? Because I have a I mean, funny I story did, about that. I, I like, I, I'm not a picky person. So I was never picky about food. Mm -hmm. But... It just wasn't the thing with Panamanian food and especially like we're from the country. So we're out in the country. But mm -hmm. so this may seem as a surprise, but we didn't eat a lot of vegetables. So I think my mom wasn't super just used to it. Like she wasn't familiar with cooking a lot of vegetables. So she would definitely cook rice and beans. So I've mm -hmm. always liked that. That was never a problem. But I didn't like grow up eating vegetables very much, you know, so I wasn't picky, but I don't remember from childhood ever having a favorite vegetable so I actually remember my favorite vegetable but so I was me. the opposite I was picky Peruvian food tends to be more spicy but mm -hmm. you know I was an only child so my mom was like okay we can make three different dinners <laughs> we can oh make my god one for one for your dad one for me and then one for you Damaris so I would just I don't know what I got. I got I got a watered down version of Peruvian food, but I did get some vegetables. My mom was all into the natural healthy food things. Just like you said, it wasn't available. We had to go to like obscure little stores in I don't even know where they were. It was crazy. But I remember that when I was a kid, I was obsessed with radishes. Whoa. I could not That's unexpected. have enough. I could not, like, I was popping them, like, all day long, right? I would, I would ask for them. I remember, rabano. I would ask for rabanitos <laughs> to my mom. And it was my favorite. I just loved the crunch and the zest. And then all of a sudden, one day, I went to ask my mom for my rabanitos. And I think that was, like, 
all of a sudden, just one day, just the light switch turned off and I didn't like him anymore. Wow. That was the one day my taste buds changed and just never tasted the same. Wow, that's a sad day. That is a sad day. Or maybe, but I, you know but what? I'm sur- made a different. What I'm mm-hmm. surprised too, though, because if you were picky, I would say radishes are kind of one of those things that a lot of people don't like because they're a little spicy, they're a little earthy, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they, the flavor is, uh, you know, it's an acquired taste, I think. So I'm surprised you like them at all to begin with. I do miss them because that was a good time. I thought they were sweet, but I don't know. Or maybe they're now GMO'd and that's what I got. I got the GMO <laughs> batch. That's what, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> that's what happened for sure. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, you know, we're, we're learning a bit about your background and the both of us, we are both Latina representing mm-hmm. on this pod. And yeah. so you spoke a little bit about your background, but yeah, tell us more. So Panama or where else do you draw your background from and where did you grow up? So I grew up both in Texas, a small town called Huntsville, which is about 45 minutes north of Houston, Texas. And but I would spend every summer in Panama. So my like instead of doing because my mom worked full time, both my parents worked full time. So in order to have childcare, my mom would just send me to Panama. And the first time I got to fly by myself, I was only seven years old. I got to fly in the plane from Houston, it's just a direct flight, which was, you know, so back then it was like super nice because you get super spoiled. Like they would give you all this stuff and coloring books and stickers. And I, I've always loved flying, never been afraid. I still, to this day, love being in an airplane. It's like, I, you know how some people get super anxious. Mm. As soon as I step foot in an airport, no matter the commotion, no matter how many people are rude, I feel so Zen. Like I feel (laughs) relaxed. I get on the plane. I'm so relaxed. I love it. So anyway, I would spend my whole summer, three months out of the year in Panama until pretty much I graduated high school, went off to college. I went to college in Texas and then medical school in Texas as well. And then I did my residency in Ohio, uh, pediatric residency. And then after that, I came to do my first job in Yakima, Washington, and that's where we've been for the last 12 years. So I had my first child, my first son in medical school, and then my second one came along in, uh, you know, after we moved to Yakima. And so I have two boys, they're 11 and 16. And yeah, life is good. Full circle (laughs) (laughs) from being a kid to having kids. So what we do when we shine at our fullest is that we try all the different things and our listeners are aspiring practice owners. So for you, if you could think back to when you opened Nourish Wellness, what was the one moment or or catalyst that drove you to doing that? My first job when I came here to Yakima was working for a community health center and I wouldn't have had it any other way. One of the reasons I had to do that was because I had time to serve for my National Service Corps scholarship. I had my medical school paid for by Mm -hmm. a scholarship. And then I had to serve time in an underserved area to pay back for the years that they paid. And so Mm -hmm. my husband and I decided we don't want to move to a place where it's just like, okay, pay your time and leave. We want to move to a place where we're going to feel comfortable staying after my commitment is done. And I had wonderful mentors and, and amazing colleagues at this community health center But what happened is that it's, it's traditional, modern 
medical care, you know, 15 minute or less appointments, seeing a lot of patients felt like my job all day is writing prescriptions and putting in referrals. Like I just really didn't have enough time to help guide patients through what I felt is the most important foundational piece of a healthy long life, which is our habits and our behaviors. I didn't have enough time to do that. And if I did, Mm. it was just like very fast and it probably wasn't very effective, you know? And so I just felt frustrated about that. And I was so frustrated that I considered actually leaving medicine completely and doing something different. Like at one point, honestly, I was planning to have a food truck and I was going to have a (gasps) plant-based food truck. (laughs) My food truck was going to be awesome, of course, but I spoke with other mentors and I just really got down into my soul and asked, what is it that I really want? And I didn't want to leave medicine. I just didn't want to continue to practice medicine that way. Mm -hmm. So I felt like the only way that I could practice medicine, the way that I felt honored my needs and also helped my families and patients along their journey for health was to start my own practice. And it was definitely scary, but thank goodness my husband is so supportive. And he is like, you know, you can do this. And I found mentors that I could learn from. And it was super, super scary, like definitely one of the scariest things I've ever done. But just you just decide to do it, and you take it step by step. And here I am, it'll be five years next month. <gasps> that I've had my physical location and almost six years since I started, I started just house calls only at the beginning until I could find a good spot that I wanted to have my office in. And it's just, it's just amazing. It's just like one of these things Mm -hmm. you just have this dream and it becomes a reality and I'm super proud of it. And I just love having my own practice. Well, congratulations from all of us. We're also excited to hear (laughs) that five years. That's awesome. Thank you. And that reminds me of a quotable moment from the previous episode that we did with uh, social worker Leslie Garcia, where she said, just start small and be consistent and you'll grow big things from that. Yes. I think that that would be like if I had to give advice for Mm -hmm. those that want to start their own thing is definitely there is no harm in starting small and it just feels less intimidating. It feels more achievable. And you can always grow from there. But I'm a a minimalist at heart. And so it was one of those things like, there's all these things we think we need. Obviously, optometrists, if mostly it's optometrists listening to this, y'all need equipment and all that kind of stuff. But do you need Mm -hmm. the latest fancy thing that does this thing that may or may not help your patient that much? You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. start with the essential. Start with the basics. And when I started, I didn't have any staff, just me and a phone number, and my stethoscope, otoscope, and ophthalmoscope, and scales. Like, basically, it was, like, bare minimum. But really, whenever you're a healthcare provider, your most important asset is your brain. We have all these tools, right? We, We have all these tools we can use. But the most important thing is your brain. And what your patients want the most is your heart, They want you to sit there and listen to them. That's what they want. And you don't have to have fancy equipment for that. I'm giving you a standing ovation right now. That is so true. Oh, I love that. I'm all about putting our patients first. And you're absolutely right. Once you give them your heart, they open up in 
such incredible ways. And then I see them flourish and we're both like, oh, look at us. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. And I love your focus on the basics, on the foundations, especially with our patients. We all know the healthy thing to eat. We all know in terms of eyes that you need to be eating kale and carrots Mm -hmm. for your retina to be healthy. We all know this. We all know we need to be eating more vegetables, but it's really about these habits. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, like pre-pandemic, I was on point. I was perfect Mm -hmm. in all the ways. Like I, I was eating vegetables in every single meal. I knew exactly when I was full and when I wasn't. But like now, you know, it's like, (laughs) I just had ice cream. So I think I'm still waiting for things to open up to go back to how things are. But I have that knowledge. And since I've gone through that, it's something that I can share with my patients. So I feel like pre-pandemic that I was practicing intuitive eating. And for our listeners, since this is something you're you're an expert in, what is intuitive eating? So intuitive (laughs) eating is a term that's coined by two lovely dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. And they wrote a book called Intuitive Eating, which now is on its fourth edition. And they describe intuitive eating in 10 different principles, which among those is honoring your hunger and your satiety. So feeling when you're hungry and you're full, ignoring or stepping away from diet culture and then following what they call gentle nutrition. So that's just some of the principles. There's more. But as a pediatrician, I try to simplify it down for parents because, you know, a little newborn baby is not immersed in diet culture yet. So, you know, it's like, you don't have to worry about that. They're, yes. not, gonna, they're not trying to weigh themselves on a scale. You know, it's like, so basically yeah, yeah. for parents, I would say that the thing that we need to focus on the most is to honor a child's hunger and fullness. And the reason this has to be said is because adults, we, a lot of us no longer eat intuitively because we live in a culture that tells us that we cannot trust our own bodies. So they say you have to either follow some sort of plan or be on some sort of calorie counting or macro counting or weigh and measure your portions. You need to weigh yourself to make sure that you're an appropriate weight. And because this has been entrenched in us, like we have been brought up in this culture, we pass that down to our children. We don't believe that children are able to regulate themselves. So when they're toddlers, And they suddenly don't need as much energy as they did before because they're not growing as quickly as they did before. And they start leaving food on their plate. We panic as parents. We get anxious. And then we start influencing our kids. We tell them one more bite or you can't have your dessert until you finish your broccoli. You know, so we start doing things like that. And when we do that, it interferes with that natural intuition that we're actually born with. And by the time they're five, we have helped many kids lose that natural superpower. The good news is we can get it back. So no matter how long you have not been eating intuitively, even for people that have had eating disorders, they can learn again to eat intuitively. And the reason that I'm so passionate about this is because first of all, it's way more pleasant to live life that way. Okay. Like Mm -hmm. you, you enjoy your food more. 
And they have done research studies on this. So this is evidence-based. People who eat intuitively actually maintain a stable weight more. It's not this yo-yo dieting up and down and up and down. So they're able to have weight stability, but they also have improved health markers. So when they've studied blood pressure and cholesterol and all of those things, they're, they're good. You have an improvement with intuitive eating. And then people are just more happy and they're more joyful because they're not spending all of their waking hours calculating their calories or their macros mm -hmm. or weighing themselves. And so I'm just really passionate about this because for my personal history, I spent decades dieting and I know that it stole years away from my life. It stole joy from me. And I want to save kids from having to experience that in their lives. And so I feel like in order to do that, I have to teach adults about intuitive eating and also let them know that there is a path to freedom for themselves so that they can teach this to their kids and support it and encourage it and protect it in their children so that mm -hmm. their children can lead joyful lives, be confident in their food choices and be confident in their bodies. I heard you speaking exactly about this in a clubhouse room and it made me smile because you made me realize that my parents gave me a huge gift mm. and that was the gift of enjoying food. Mm. Like they always like uh, spoke about how how special what my, my dad would say how special your mom is with cooking it's such an important thing like wow we get to eat food and I mean they they probably wouldn't they don't talk about their childhoods much but they were both one of nine so wow. food for them it was like there was no seconds that Scarce. was it yes yeah, yeah very much so and then whenever there was something delicious it was a very big event and they they transferred that to me and it made me really appreciate, you know, food and the, the taste and the color and just eating all of it. <laughs> and they're doing good. And that's something that they gave to me. And I never realized that I wouldn't have realized it if I didn't listen, listen to you in your clubhouse room. Yes. And I feel like right now, the most common reality in most people's households is that eating is really stressful. And feeding kids is really stressful mm -hmm. and anxiety provoking and moms just don't know what to do. And they're worried that mm -hmm. their kids aren't eating enough vegetables and they're worried their kids aren't eating enough or they're worried their kids are eating too much. And so it's a struggle. And this anxiety just permeates the dinner table and it just makes eating unpleasant for everybody, you know? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I just, I just want to help parents so that that's no longer the case. I want to make eating more fun, more joyful, less stressful. What's a, a easy way that we can talk to our patients about this instead of just putting in our assessment and plans? Oh, we spoke with the patient about lifestyle changes. Like what's one thing that we can tell them? Well, I think that for adults, especially, I would say two concepts that you can simplify that they may have not heard it this way before, because right now we're so focused on don't eat carbs or cut your calories, you know, those mm -hmm. kinds of things is talk to them about eating more whole plant foods. Just say, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I'm not telling you to mm -hmm. give anything up. All mm -hmm. I'm saying is, how can you include more fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts and seeds into your meals and your snacks? How can you do that? I'm not talking about 
getting rid of anything. And then just talk about what a whole food is. A whole food is a food that's very close to how it's found in nature, like an apple you take from a tree. And how do you include that more in your meals? And I think that whenever we talk to our patients and their families about including foods rather than restricting foods, your brain has a shift. It just, it sounds more inviting. It sounds more fun. It sounds more doable. Whenever we approach with stop eating this, it all of a sudden you feel contracted, you feel nervous, Mm -hmm. you feel worried. And the human brain, we really do have a primitive part in our human brain that is wired to protect us from starvation. And so when we have that sense of scarcity, it, it really causes a lot of problems. And so instead of putting on your patients this sense of scarcity, stop eating that. Talk about how can you eat more? How can you eat more apples? Mm. How can you eat more kales? How can you eat more carrots? You know, these things, more omega-3s. I know that's super important for the eyes as well. Mm. You know, how can we get more nuts and seeds and flax seeds and that kind of thing? And so that would be the first concept. And the second concept is talking to them about starting to tune into their bodies. So talk a little bit. You don't even have to call it intuitive eating. Talk to them about how there are studies that show that whenever we actually eat mindfully and pay attention to our bodies, this actually gives us health benefits. So eat whenever you're hungry. Stop when you're satisfied. It doesn't have to be this whole counting calories and things like that, because whenever we actually pay attention to our bodies and we're eating a lot of whole foods, we eat the right amount for our, our body. We eat the right, right amount for our genetic blueprint. So I would say those two, those two concepts start talking to your patients. And I bet you'll be surprised that they're like, wow, I've never heard anybody say it that way before. On Eyes Up, we're all about, you know, patient first language and approaching our patients in a non-confrontational, non-judgmental way and Mm -hmm. inviting them to eat more of the good things in life. That's that's so important. Yes. And along those lines, too, you introduced me to even another concept, healthism. Mm -hmm. So and that's kind of about, from what I understood, judging a person's worth on the basis of their health. And it's something we need to undo as healthcare professionals. But yeah, like, uh, tell us, what is healthism? Well, this is something that I am becoming way more passionate about because as a person that I'm very into the plant-based community, and I love it, and I've been in this world for almost mm-hmm. 10 years I see a lot of it. And the reason is, is because we talk about eating plants and how it's going to improve your health and all of this. But whenever we start judging other people or blaming other people for their health conditions, it it creates a problem. We're not showing love and compassion for people. And really, frankly, it's none of your business. If you're a healthcare provider, that's one thing. But most of the people that are (laughs) that are judging are not healthcare providers. And Mm -hmm. so, and the reason that this is something that I talk about is because I also feel like I'm an advocate for people with larger bodies, people that have larger bodies because they are discriminated against, not just in public, but also in the medical profession. And the reason we feel justified to treat them the way that we do is because we say, well, fat people are going to be sick. And if, if we don't shame them for feeling for, for 
being the way that they are, they're not going to change. And if they're, if they don't change, they're going to continue to be sick. And so that justification in itself is a problem, right? But then if you take it to the next step of like, well, so what if somebody is sick? What if somebody has a condition? What does that mean about them? Does that mean that they're a lesser person? No, it doesn't. So you wouldn't talk to somebody like that, that got cancer or something. But when people have these diseases that we attribute to being lifestyle diseases, we tend to blame them for it and expect that they should have more of this sense of personal responsibility. But that's just not a compassionate way to live or to be. So there's definitely going to be people that are diagnosed with conditions and they're going to seek help and we're going to help them with their diet and lifestyle. But maybe there's people that they're just not in a place in their life. Maybe they're overwhelmed. They're working three jobs. They're, they're just trying to survive. Mm-hmm, those social determinants. They're just mm-hmm. not there yet. And it's not up yeah. to us to say, hey, you're a bad person because you don't, you're not trying to change your diet. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not up to us. And so I just get really, you know, you can tell I just get really passionate about this. And it's just a a concept that I want people to be aware of that just like we can discriminate against people because of their skin color or because of their religion or because of their cultural background, we can discriminate against people based upon the size of their body or even on their health status. So it's just another thing to be aware of when we're looking to be more loving and compassionate and inclusive to people along their journeys. And as healthcare professionals, we do need to be introspective and open to these, they're unfortunately new concepts, but it just makes so much sense. You can't, a larger person or it doesn't, that doesn't equate to health. It's not Mm -hmm. the same thing. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times in my exam chair, I do see a larger person and you know, you make these assumptions in your head and I go look at their A1C level and it's like they're, they're, di- they, they're a person with diabetes, but it's like 6.1 mm-hmm. and it's there's no diabetic retinopathy and mm-hmm. they were larger. And I'm like, OK, you're doing great. And then on the other hand, I see someone smaller, thin, with advanced bleeding in the back of their eye mm-hmm. and A1Cs mm-hmm. of 12. You know, healthy, Mm. unhealthy, you can't judge that from just seeing someone on the outside and you shouldn't have to. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's something that we need to talk about. And as healthcare professionals, we do need to be more introspective and more open to new ways of thinking because the old way just isn't working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously, Mm -hmm. right? It's not. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're not seeing this whole population of people that are suffering And there's even evidence to show that the stress that larger bodied people have because of how they're discriminated on their size is actually causing them health problems, Mm. which makes sense, right? Because we know that people that are discriminated against for other things have a lot of stress in their lives from that too. And we know that stress is a huge cause of health problems, heart disease and things like that. So we just need to rethink it. We just need to think of how we approach our patients and families. And I think another reason why I'm more open to this and I feel more confident with looking at things this way is because I'm also trained as a health and wellness coach. And the coach perspective is that you take people along their journey when they're ready at the pace that they desire and for the goals that they desire. 
So you're their, you're their guide, you're their partner, you're going along, you're walking beside them, you're not walking in front of them. And I feel that a lot of us in the healthcare profession, we're taught to be the expert, we're, we're taught to be, you know, we're going to tell you what to do, we're the prescriber, this is the thing you should do. And then when patients don't do that, they're called non-compliant, which sounds like so like, you know, accusatory, you know? And mm-hmm. so because we have this perspective on our patients and we think, and I, and I feel also that healthcare providers have this huge sense of responsibility, like it's up to us to force our patients to try to be healthier. And what I love about the coach perspective is that you drop all of that and you're no longer, you no longer have this sense of responsibility, like I'm going to fix you. You're more like, hey, I'm here for you. I'm here as your cheerleader. I'm here as your coach. I'm here as your guide. And I can help you along the journey the way that you want to go on this journey, not the way that I think that you should go on this journey. Preach. Absolutely. We have to see our patients for who they are. Mm -hmm. I'm all about not using the word empower. What does that mean? It's just like what you said. It's like me coming from a place of power and I'm giving someone power. Like, Mm. no, don't use that word. We see our patients and we encourage their autonomy. And I know that they are all capable whenever they are ready. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's something that we bring to all of our communities. Mm -hmm. And speaking about community, I think it's time for our segmento en español. Okay. Ver, para nuestro público hispanohablante o los que están aprendiendo español aquí con Eyes Up, hablemos un poquito sobre lo que comentamos antes en inglés, los hábitos de comer. Uh, ¿Cómo podemos, eh, bueno, en nuestras familias siempre se celebra cualquier ocasión con comida, pero también a la misma vez no aprendemos comer intuitivamente. A sí. ver, ¿tiene algunas sugerencias para nosotros? Sí, la primera cosa, no hay nada malo en celebrar la vida con comida. Eso no es el problema. El problema que tenemos muchos latinos es que a veces cuando comemos pensamos que va a ser la última comida <ríe> y después <ríe> comemos demasiado y uno sabe si come demasiado porque no se uh-huh. siente bien, se va a sentir sobre llenos, inflados y cansados y todo eso, está bien comer las comidas que te gusta, que, que o sea, son tradicionales de tu cultura, pero empieza primero poner atención cómo te sientes adentro. ¿Tienes hambre? ¿Qué cantidad de hambre tienes? Y después uno empieza a comer y cuando uno ya se siente satisfecho, puede parar. Y en tu mente, si... si Tienes un momento de pánico que hoy no voy a tener esta comida. Eso nunca es verdad, porque sí podemos a, cocinar más o participar en estos, estos eventos otra vez. Y de todos modos, uno tiene que empezar de pensar cómo uno se siente cuando para de comer satisfecho o para de comer cuando está sobre lleno y no se siente bien. Y la mayoría del tiempo uno se va a sentir mejor, más energía, se, tú sabes, ma, mejor digestión cuando uno para de comer satisfecho. Sí, qué buena sugerencia. Eso es no, no exagerar. Siempre todo en moderación y así podemos uh, vivir más, uh, más saludables y felices. Uh-huh. Exactamente. Bueno, muchas gracias por este segmento en español. <ríe> de nada. 
You are living the dream, Dr. Yami, and it is clear that you love what you do. What words of encouragement would you give to a young woman listening right now who is just about to get her career in healthcare started? Uh, Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you so much for your passion, for your dedication, for your hard work. You are important in this world. You are essential in this world. You are here for a reason. Never, ever forget that. It doesn't matter if you even just touch one person's life. That matters and that's important. It sends a ripple effect in the world. But you're going to touch way more than that. So just keep your head up. Keep your chin up. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Reach out for support because there's so many people that want to support you and encourage you. So don't feel like you have to do this alone. And always remember that your voice is needed. Your special touch is needed. The way that you do things is needed. There's not too many of anything because we're all unique and we all have a special effect in the world. So don't give up. And if you feel like you're about to give up, reach out for help. Such beautiful words. Absolutely. You do not have to do anything alone. You know, we're always here. I know our DMs are open. We're on Clubhouse. We're all over. Yep. (laughs) Any questions, (laughs) we're ready. Uh, Where can we reach you at, Dr. Yami, if we want to follow your journey or we have questions? Well, I am most active on social media on Instagram at the Dr. Yami. And then, of course, you mentioned my podcast, Veggie Doctor Radio. Mm-hmm. I have usually at least one, but sometimes two episodes a week. And then my website is called dryami.com, all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com. And I have another website for those that are interested in more plant-based nutrition things for kids and families is veggiefitkids.com. But Dr. Yami, I want to hear if you can you know, share us and grace us with the Veggie Doctor Radio intro. I want to hear it here. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. And what I want you, my listeners, to take from today's episode is that you got to ask for help and surround yourself with people who want to see you succeed, who want to see you grow. It's something you have control over. And it's something that we're here to support you with, too. Mm -hmm. And two, you got to think about intuitive eating. It's really the best way to be. I was there. I can get back there. Mm -hmm. I hope so. (laughs) And, you know, once we start making these changes, it's also much easier for us to empathize with our patients and help them along their wellness journeys as well. Yes. 
And if you love this episode, share it with a friend and leave Eyes Up a rating and review. The ratings allow more listeners to listen to this podcast, which is exactly what I need to keep bringing you this revolutionary content. And for a deeper dive into the topics covered on this episode, take a look at the show notes below and follow me on Instagram at EyesUpPod. And shout out to Roberto Lusk for the awesome work on the logo, to our resident copy editor, Dr. Sarah Hashmi, and to our transcriber, Shirley Madelena. Stay tuned for more details on that. We're transcribing the Spanish segment. Mm -hmm. And congrats to the winner of my podcast survey. She won a $50 Amex gift card. You had to be in it to win it. She was in it. She won it. Congratulations, Emily Benson, currently a first-year optometry student at the Ohio State University. <laughs> and I love your uh, words that you shared with us, your encouraging words, Dr. Yami, because that's my slogan. Head up, eyes up, together we rise up. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, say bye, everybody. Bye. bye. Um, let me, hold on, let me pull it up. My podcast is awesome. So listen to it. <laughs> okay. I'm just joking. Oh my gosh. I just, I turned off my Wi-Fi tube for like optimum signal strength. So I can't even pull it up. But...